You're listening to the iFanboy Pick the Week podcast, episode 367, brought to you by iFanboy listeners like you. Pick of the Week podcast. This is episode 367. I am Josh Flanning, and I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. Happy New Year, Josh. Thank you, Connor. And Ron Richards, to you as well. Happy New Year. In jail. We're rusty. I'm already rusty. I don't like it. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. (laughs) I know. At iFanboy.com, it's a website that we make because we like comic books. We read them, which is why we like them, or vice versa. Every week we read a bunch of them, and one of us picks the one that they deem the best book. They call that the pick of the week. We write about it here on the website, and we talk about it on the podcast that you're listening to right now, along with other stuff, other books from the week, some questions, things that come up. Uh, Before we get going, we are going to talk about what happened in the books, so there will be spoilers. Uh, If you're worried about that, either read your books and come back later, or... uh, Send yourself down hell's hell's uh, dusty road. All there right. it is. <laughs> wow, hell's dusty road. I fanboy in twenty thirteen. I didn't. Re- um, I didn't realize. I didn't realize what the stakes were there. <laughs> yeah, no, You're putting a lot of pressure on. They're they're surprisingly high. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think so, but you know, there it is, black in black and white. <laughs> Ron, you had the you're the first pick of the year. I'm sure that made it all the more pressure, and you went with an X Men book by Bendis. Well, yeah, it, w- it was inevitable. Really, I mean, <laughs> it, well, you know, I I, I see that. For you. I, I mean, it was funny because, I, and I talked about it in the review up on the site. You can go to ifanboy.com and read that. You know, like I, a lot of people have asked me, like, what do you think of Bendis' X Men? What do you think of X Men, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, and and ultimately, I'm like, you know, it's it's gonna be fine. You know, it's not like the you know, it's hard whether you like what Bendis has done recently or ever or something. Like that, it's hard to argue Bendis' track record as a writer. Like he's, right. he's he's quite accomplished. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Daredevil, Daredevil alone, I feel like he's earned you know our respect regardless. And so going into this, you know, like I doubted that that there was going to be any massive you know sweeping change or sweeping difference or anything like that. The question was just going to be, okay, well, what was he going to do and how was he going to do it? And I've been a little not hesitant, but you know, cautious going into the four issues because he was clearly taking the Ultimate Spider-Man slow burn kind of approach for this for the first couple of issues. Um, you know, there wasn't any big bombastic first issue or anything like that. Like it just kind of and actually, as I've kind of noticed this, this really feels like reading old school or old style uh, Claremont X-Men because like I don't get a sense like that this arc is over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like it just each each issue flowed into the next like. Like they should with monthly comics, if you ask me. Um, but so it wasn't until this issue um, where after the fifth issue, I was like, all right, I'm in. He did it. I'm, I'm on board. I like what's going on here. I like what I'm reading. Um, and it wasn't until this issue, really? Yeah. Well, no, because well, it was not like the other issues I hated or anything like that. But it, it, this issue was the one that put me over the top completely. Really? Yeah. That's oh. interesting because it seems like you've been on board since issue one. I have been. I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I haven't, but what I've, what I've been saying is I've been saying that, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious what he's doing. I like what's happened so far. And then I've been very um, uh, uh, complimentary of Eminem's work. Um, but in terms of the greater, grander scheme of things and what's going on, it, this was the issue where I said, you know, all right, cool. I, you know, like, I feel like it's clicking. 
I'm on board. I want, and not that I wasn't on board before, but like You've now been I'm glad handing yeah, us. Yeah, well, I'm not glad handing, but I, was I, nice. I, I listen. I think we need to talk about this sort of lie. No, but anyway, um, and what one of the things that one of the things that made me realize it with this with this issue was that um, I now believe and I get that uh, not that I didn't believe it before, but I get that Bendis has is taking the right approach with the X Men, which is a, a a little bit of reverence of the past. Of highlighting the connections of the characters, and that you know, I know we kind of say we say that kind of soap opery kind of feel, but the inter- interpersonal relationships of the characters, as well as that idea of being feared and hated and not fitting in, and and that and that whole thing, because that's what the ex- the essence of the X Men are. The essence of the X Men is that awkwardness around your body's changing, your life is changing. You know, the the allegory of puberty, but in, in this regard, mutant powers. And the idea being that you're scared and alone, and then you find people who are like you, and then you find acceptance am- amongst them. And, I thought it was about being gay. <laughs> <laughs> and w- with this issue, we got a huge kind of nod. All day, Richards. A huge reverence of the past with um, you know the little telepathic kind of conversation between Beast and Jean Grey that happened inside Beast's head when Beast who – now I will question the story point of Beast revealing to young Jean Grey everything that happened to Jean Grey in her future. I feel like that's you know messing with the you, space Sure. sure. <laughs> seems like a specious uh, decision. Here's everything. But um, you know, so we got that touch of the past but then I also felt as if – and with just the one small scene – where we see um, present-day Scott Summers trying to recruit a, a new mutant, um, that sense of, okay, this is somewhat going to return to the what made the X-Men great, which to me, reading the X-Men growing up and being a fan of the X-Men was that idea of, okay, here's this, you know, this group of people who banded together because they're mutants, and every now and then new mutants pop up, and they go and recruit them, and they train them, and that whole idea, and if that's the direction they're taking these books in, then I couldn't be happier. And that subtle scene, whereas the past four issues have been big fights and explosions and, and things like that, but this was just two pages uh, or three pages of Cyclops talking to a new mutant, very quiet, very subtle, and I, I like the idea of Scott's team and Wolverine's team now are going to be racing to recruit these mutants, very similar to how Xavier and Emma Frost and the and and her, you know, kind of Hellions, that kind of th- played out back in the 80s. Um, I just like what I'm seeing, and this issue just kind of cemented it. And again, to, to highlight Eminem, just killing it on this. I mean, like I, I, I said in the review, I kind of want that double paid spread of Jean getting her past as a poster to put up in my bedroom. <laughs> Only kind of, or oh, maybe more than kind of. But and that's the thing that it maybe touch- I already ordered it anyway. Yeah, maybe, but that's the thing that it touches upon is that the fact that like reading this, I feel like I felt as a kid, you know, as a teenager reading the X Men again, like this idea of uh, of a bigger world around me and stories that I don't even you know stories that I don't even know that are going to happen. But um, it's all it has the feeling. And I read I was reading X Men back then before yeah. before things got weird after Claremont left, but. If it has that lighthearted feeling where there's there's danger and there is things, but it's also it has a very strong family connection. Yeah, you know, there, this is a family has more than any other superhero sto- uh, team. Yeah, and, I, I gotta yeah. I mean, I gotta say, not long into this, I I really feel like Bendis' strengths play stronger into this than they had perhaps with the Avengers, where he tried to do that, but it sort of went on for a really long time. Yep. Whereas sort of the the conflicts, the interpersonal conflicts of this, are much better suited to the way that he works. Yeah. I think, and I think that's showing very quickly. 
Yeah. So uh, and so the the big change in the book that that I did mention in my review only because I couldn't find a place to put it in in terms of my narrative. But um, Beast, who is suffering from you know his mutation um, continuing and mutating, um, as now younger Beast helped him to work through this mutation, and now he's evolved and we say goodbye to the Frank Quietly uh, Beast style. Say hello to uh, until until he shows up like that in the book yeah. in two months from now. For exactly. No <laughs> say hello to more of a. I feel like more of a Hellboy. Looks like more of an ape. Yeah, he's more an of an ape. ape yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I like it more than the cat, but yeah, um, that was the only only element I didn't love about it. Yeah. You know, I, I found it interesting that he sees himself as the first blue beast in his head and not as the human Hank McCoy. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Um, which I love that design. I, I mean, I, love I, that prefer, I prefer human beast, but I do love that design and the way that Eminem drew like it was fantastic. Beast. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd be fine if he'd gone back to the original blue beast, but yeah. the, I didn't love Ape Beast. I'm sure I'll get used to it, but it was better than the weird cat beast that we've had for a while. Cat, horse, uh, donkey, whatever they, however they've been drawing him. Um, cat, horse, listen, donkey. Listen, listen, he's blue. <laughs> you know, what more do you want? He's um, blue. It would be curious to see how long they will stick with this original five team being in the in the quote unquote present. Well, yeah, and 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 honestly, and the question and the question that it begs is is what does it mean for the timeline? Like, is it do we have the divergent? You know, like well, they've already put in the bomb for that. Xavier will mind wipe it when they get back. True, yeah, I know they have a way to undo it, but the question is, is that while until that is undone, you know, what I mean, like what we know about time travel. You know, shouldn't they leave Xavier's uh, the, the school or, or the Jean Grey school and Salem Center has got a big casino in it? Like, shouldn't like, like <laughs> well, they're not. They're I'd be not, fine with that. Yeah, that's only one divergent timeline. If they go back, they go back to exactly the point that they, you know, there's a there's a billion right. But they go they so. go but they go back with the knowledge of the future, and so the, Here's, you know, wouldn't they? Wouldn't that affect their their choice? Wouldn't that affect Jean Grey's choices now that she knows all this stuff? Here's what's going to happen. Yeah. They're going to go back to the same point that they left, but Jean is going to make the choice to mind wipe everybody else and not herself, and yeah. she'll know. There's your out. Yeah, that's it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, all right. Because her powers have been increasing rapidly at the as the needs of the issue progress. Yeah, yeah. She will also have the almanac. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, I love it! And, and Hank McCoy will just collapse, <laughs> <laughs> and but yeah. no one will know why. But yeah, no, but absolutely love it. Looking at the Jean Grey double page spread, it's just like I, I remember all the moments that they they're calling out here and the costumes and the and the. But even if you don't, it's yeah. fine. Yeah, exactly. I exactly. I no, know. here's the thing: is that I wrote a letter to Marvel and I said I don't know what any of these things are. I want my money back. <laughs> and then at the end, I wrote butthead. <laughs> you just need to know that she's gone through a lot of shit. Yep. yep. And you can see that you can see it here. I probably can call out. A quarter of these, yep. specifically. I don't know what the one where she's sort of walking in the in the tall grass with a hood on. I don't know that's, what that is. That's from the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix when they traveled into the future to raise Cable as a baby. Exactly. So all I know is she went somewhere weird and has a hood on, and Cyclops yep. looks like Ishtar, and that's fine. Yep. I don't need to know exactly what that was to enjoy this story, and that's. That's fine. I think yeah. I think this is a really great introductory series. This continues to be a really good introductory series yeah. to the X Men. It's it's great. It's fantastic. So well well deserved. Yeah. Now, um, can either of you tell me what happened in New Avengers number one? No. <laughs> okay. No. I, well, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Jonathan Hickman released a number one issue uh, that I didn't really get or like, but I'm going to read the second one because I might like it then in retrospect. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's pretty much exactly that's how it felt. Exactly what happened. I, I was, was like, more perplexed. So this is this is a Black Panther book. I was more perplexed by Black Panther's costume. His mask just kind of fades in and out as needed. When did that happen? 
I don't know. I don't know when this takes place. I don't know <laughs> what well, this has to do with the other book of Avengers that the author is doing. And there's and I, there's I, a I manifold want, in here that's not the manifold in Avengers. I have decided he's white. I have de- what? He's oh the- yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I have. Uh, I have decided that if I was at Marvel, my rule would be that you can only write one book uh, from a line. You can't have two Avengers books. Oh, if you're going to have two Avengers books, it's got to be different people. Well, right. I mean, well, from, from what we understand and, what the, the, uh, and, and as, it's end, as it ended here is that this book is going to be the Illuminati book and Avengers is the big cast book. So you've got Cap They're intersect. Yeah. So and, and yeah. So and the idea and from what Hickman told us, or at some point, or I don't know when or where, might have been a private conversation. But you don't you don't need to read both books. But if you do, it enhances. Like that. That's the kind of idea. it's like, exactly how FF yeah. and Fantastic Four works. And I wouldn't yeah. want someone else to have written FF while he wrote Fantastic that, Four. That's, yeah. Okay. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I'm. I guess I'm going with more of a what would happen with Bendis before and what I sort of had a flashback of here where. Ben is writing three different Avengers books and, and, and trying to do three different things and yeah yeah, 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 they yeah. there was there was no difference there was no point in buying the other one you see, the, just, you see now I understand that and I saw and I agree with the apprehension on this book but what we know of Hickman and what we know of his meticulous planning and his charts and graphs and his notebooks and his insane scribbling I I like and I like you guys I was underwhelmed by this issue um, what I what I do I, know I, about I, this this was a very strange number one issue yeah it, <laughs> it was. well because and, really? and like especially I, like, I look I was looked back a couple of times. Like, like, this is one, right? Especially, yeah, especially knowing Hickman's preference of approaching number ones, you know, and like what he did with Avengers, stuff like that. This was a a the, the slower, you know, approach to the first issue, and that's why I'm kind of reserving judgment. But I trust him. You know? I was about halfway through this issue, though, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Wait, we got we got to spend 15 pages getting introduced to these Wakandans who are then killed yeah. by people we don't know. <laughs> yep. And then some Avengers show up at the very end, and they're not – they don't seem like the same people from the other Avengers book that came out last week written by the same guy. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, but I think we've learned enough from Hickman to trust them at least through the first four. I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll see. But you know, who knows if this is going to be more like Shield than like Fantastic Four? We don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if I'll give it four automatically. I'll definitely give it the next one, and then we'll right. see. But, I'm glad uh, it wasn't just me. I was so afraid. <laughs> you both would be like, "It was amazing," and I'd be like, "Oh no, did you read?" <laughs> oh no, no, yeah, I finished it. And I, I, I definitely scratched my head. Uh, yeah, it was definitely. I feel, odd. I feel so much better about that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the the other new number one this week was Morbius: The Living Vampire number one. Which place your bets now on how many issues this will last? <laughs> Six, seven, eight. I'll say eight. Seven, eight. Uh, that said, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it, I mean, it doesn't really. That has, that has nothing to do with it. I would have just told you based on the title. Yeah, exactly. Joe exactly. is not Mark Wade, right? And I don't mean that against him. I just mean the market. Yeah, um, I really like Richard Elson. Um, I like the issue of Spider Man he did, and I liked all the stuff in Journey to Mystery he did, um, and I like this a lot, um, art wise. Um, yeah, the, the story the story was good, although I, you know it's it's the this it seems like they want to ignore um, Morbius's age. The fact that he's been around for a while and they're kind of making him a little. I feel he, I got a younger. Marvel now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know. fine. I mean, they just told his. They just told his uh, his origin. You can yeah. sort of place it that way. Yeah. So, but um, I, I haven't I haven't read it yet. Yeah. And I'm sorry. All right. Well, yeah. No, I enjoyed it. Josh, uh, Connor, did you read it? Or no? no, I have no. I could. I was trying to think of a character I would be less interested in more. <laughs> It's a, it's a Smythe. It's the only Spider-Man character I'm less interested in. Alistair Smythe. Well, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. So Doctor Druid, maybe. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with it until it gets canceled. He's a whiz with AV cables, though. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Only if the book is about him setting up people's home theater systems. Which is awesome. Awesome. Dr. Drew, it's home yeah. theater yeah. service. <laughs> I'm down with yeah. that. Uh, I'm not sure, and I didn't have to pick, so I don't have to say. I think Daredevil End of Days number four may have been my pick of the week. Really? I love this book. This is like, like the thing is, I, I'm, I'm a hot and cold on Bendis. You guys have heard me. I've talked about it today. But this reminds me of like the, the guy that the guy I fell in love with. But the guy's work, who I really liked, it, it just takes me back to it's fun. It's like a fun Daredevil story. Uh, I like the mystery. I like I like hanging out with Ben Urich. Um, I think it looks so. It looks great. Like it's just a really good looking. And I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I feel uh, like seventy percent of this is Ben Urich. Yeah, maybe. Just no. Oh, yeah. yeah totally. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just no, saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. The Ben Yurick was some of the best one of my favorite parts of his run of of you know, talk about getting yeah. a character and all that stuff. I thought this was great. So, yeah. And it's just it's just it's a fun character and a fun little world to spend time with. And what's great is that it's not it's not in continuity. So, or maybe it is, I don't know, but you know, whatever it is right now, like it, it can be like an else world. So, you're actually getting a chance to do. It felt like, you know what it felt like? It didn't it didn't feel so much like uh Daredevil, as it did feel like when I was, you know, reading Alias. Yeah, that kind of anything can happen stuff with it, and, and it just it looked really good, and, and and it this it brought me back, like in you know, in a way that you were talking about, you know, with the X Men, like this definitely brought me back to a different time in comics. It made me really because it was written back then, right. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot. Cool. You know, I, I, I'm enjoying the whole series. I think it's great. I think it's. I mean, I, I'm loving the art. I'm loving what Sinkevich and Jansen are doing on it, and and it's just. It's like, like you said, it's kind of falling back into that Bendis Daredevil world that we that we loved all you know all those years ago. Um, so it's a nice little little trip down. I'm curious to see how it ends. Well, they were just like the like the choices in in the story were just a little bolder. Like you know, hookers who dressed like superheroes. Like yeah. I was like, okay, this is this is the stuff that Bendis doesn't get to do on the stuff that we see him most of the time, and mm-hmm. that he's good at. Right. So, um, so we had a little hiccups in in comics in the comics world as some stores had books uh, the week of New Year uh, of between Christmas and New Year's, and some books were released, um, and we didn't get a chance to talk about them. Um, so I want to take some time to talk about them now. Um, and the big one was Amazing Spider-Man number seven hundred, the big last issue of Amazing Spider-Man before it relaunches as Superior Spider-Man, and the uh, final wrap up to uh, uh, to. Dan Slott's grand Dr. Octopus, Peter Parker, Mind Swap story. So it was interesting. I was uh, going through my bookshelves, and I went to look at my Amazing Spider-Man omnibus, and I realized it had burst into flame. <laughs> and there were no more Spider-Man stories. Everything, everything has changed, Connor. The, the, the timelines are divergent now. But there are no, <laughs> there's, and the gone. thing is, there's no historical preference that this will ever change. Precedence? Right. Yeah. yeah. Or preference either. Did I say preference? Um, yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> Rusty. The, the, I mean, it was hysterical. I tweeted. I tweeted over the week after I read it. Where, well, because basically, so the 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 in a nutshell, <laughs> this is going to be tough to explain to anyone who's not reading it. But so, Doctor Octopus swapped minds with Peter Parker. Doctor Octopus's body is in atrophy and is about to die. Peter's trapped in it. This is going to be Doctor Octopus's grand last supervillain moment, and he will have Peter Parker's younger, stronger body, and and can go on and and continue. Um, of course, Peter fights back, and they fight and they tussle, and and Peter gets some of the uh, some of the other supervillains to help him because they think he's Doctor Octopus. Have you have you watched uh, Out of Sight recently? Because you've used the word tussle several times. No, I haven't actually. <laughs> and there's a great scene with the word 
tussle. Anyway, so um, so so they fight, and um, and then Peter is constantly working on some way to get his mind back into his own body, and he thinks he has it by using the same gold Octobot that Doctor Octopus used, and but Doctor Octopus had already planned for it, put in some shielding, and so therefore Peter was unable to get his mind back into his body, but. Um, somehow some bit of Peter's, all Peter's memories are still in his body and a bit of Peter's essence is in there. And Peter was able to push his life experiences in front of Dr. Octopus's eyes in the matter of a second. And everything that Peter's been through and Uncle Ben and getting the powers and Uncle Ben dying and Gwen dying and Captain Stacy dying and Dr. Octopus realizes what it means to be Peter Parker and what it means to be Spider-Man. And so when Dr. Octopus's body dies with Peter Parker's mind inside of it, Doc Ock swears that he will learn from Spider-Man and he will be a better person and he will be Spider-Man, but he'll have his genius and his ambition and he'll be an even better Spider-Man before and he'll be a hero, he'll be a superior Spider-Man. And that's how it ends. (laughs) So clearly... We'll never see Peter Parker again. Ever again. Ever again. And so my response when everybody was freaking the fuck out was, haven't you people read comics before? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I'll give you this, though. Dan Slott has a massive pair of clanging bronze balls. Yes, I mean, <laughs> like yeah. he went through with it. I never felt like it wasn't a thing that, that wasn't going to happen. But uh, it's a fairly large change on a, a group of people who are not so into change. Right. Uh, and 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 for what and, and further from a market standpoint, he's actually made his book less accessible. <laughs> so really, and on all fronts, he just said, "Fuck it." Yep. <laughs> well, it's, it's hysterical. If you go listen to the Word Balloon interview he did with with Suntress, like he's he's been working on this since issue six hundred. So this was this is his grand slot's big grand moment. And I'll give him credit. Like a lot of I talked to a lot of people who just hated this issue, thought it was awful. Oh, it was um, awful. Uh, it wasn't it was, awful at all, and I thought it was and I th- a bit long for what it accomplished, just like the ones before it. Like yeah, he's doing he's doing five pages of material in twenty pages. Yeah, I mean, but I I, th- I think he hit some of the notes, like the 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 moment where Peter kind of almost dies and sees everybody in his life and stuff like that. Like he hit the right emotional notes for what should happen. Um, I do agree with you; it did run a little long in the tooth, and and some of the the back and forth between him and Doc Ock was kind of confusing as they were because everyone else thinks that they're who they're supposed to be, but they know that they're the other person, and so like it, I was like, oh god, this is tiring. But yeah. um, but it, uh, yeah, but I, I like it. I say, fuck it, burn it's, it down, burn it down, bring that, it on. <laughs> that I'm hundred percent fine with. But they're they're not it. burning anything down. This is just a story they're telling. It's right, they exactly. Have, it's, it's a story that got told exactly. in Batman. It's a story that's got told in other places. It's not like yeah. it's. I feel like comic readers are goldfish sometimes. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Batman's back broken. It was broken in Azrael's Batman, right? I mean, that's stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. Batman since the he 19th. He was killed and lost in time. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, Superman died, right? It's, several. Yeah. It's a story. It's how is Peter going to get back is the story they're now telling. It's not like, uh, it's real. this really frustrates me. Yeah. <laughs> Most I'm frustrated that I want to read old Spider-Man stories, and now they're a bunch of ash in my bookshelf. How do they know other books burn? Uh, it's amazing. It's like some sort of trigger mechanism. The um, really cool thing, though, is if they do change it back in the books, all your books reappear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, my prediction is that within a year, Peter's back. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so. Sure. Um, that said, uh, that said, if you are, if you haven't uh, threatened to kill Dan Slott, <laughs> I shouldn't joke about that. And no. you, um, and you, um, and you are on board with Spider-Man, and you didn't read Avenging Spider-Man number fifteen point one. You probably should check that out because that was a very nice little character study of Doc Ock, and kind of gives more kind of background to what he's doing, his motivations um, as the new Spider-Man are, as we get ready for Superior Spider-Man, which is 
coming out next week or this week or avenging spider-man is when you go to a comic book convention and you're out with a bunch of your friends and it's like 1 a.m and you turn around and there's that guy who you don't know and he's been with you all night what are you still with us you still hanging out i was gonna say the surprise of the year is that that book's still being published yeah that's what i mean oh you're still who who is that guy what's he what's he doing here you were oh yeah you said that one funny joke back at 4 p.m yeah that is just that no one read it no one cares about it no, I mean, it did in the beginning when it was Maduera, but no one. I mean, I've enjoyed quite a bit of it, but it doesn't sell. I'm surprised. It's yeah. still going. I think they kept it around for this reason particularly. So it turns out that uh, companies other than Marvel publish books this week. Uh, yeah, according yeah. to this uh, list, Justice League 15 started the and Aquaman 15 started the uh, Throne of Atlantis crossover, and this is the first issue of Justice League with I- uh, Ivan Reese on art. And what a difference a new artist makes in this book. Tell me about it. Because, uh, you know, for me, Jim Lee's a great artist, but he's always been a bit stiff and his, his characters always lack a little bit of warmth and humanity to them. Uh, I remember the first page here where you see Ivan Reese draw Clark Kent. He actually looked like what I think Clark Kent's supposed to look like in, yeah. this, in this book. I was, well, I, I, well, I think the more important thing is that you had, you had Ivan Reese or Ivan Rice, Heiss or whatever you say his name, but inked by Joe Prado and that's it. Yeah. Like it's a it's a condensed. This is the creative team on it. They've been great on Aquaman, and it's just continuing into this. You know, um, uh, it was such a difference, such a refreshing difference. That double page spread of the the tidal wave and the, yep. the, the oh my man, just this is doing comic art. You let you let an artist and a you know and, a, and an inker or sometimes not, but let them focus and do the book, and and this is what you get. You get quality. Should've I really should have been this from the get go. The thing about it is, I thought Captain Marvel was joining the team based on the cover. I totally had the same thought. I was like, "Oh, finally!" Uh, apparently, being in the back of the team picture in the cover meant he's still just in the back of the book as a feature. <laughs> know your place, Captain Marvel. <laughs> I like that as a design so, a design element. I guess. I mean, if that's what they're going for, it's kind of clever. Yeah. Um, I would like to see him on the team, though. I think it'd be an interesting uh, addition to the team, but. You know what? I feel bad because um, talking about the team, and I, not to quote Mean Girls, but I feel like they would just quit trying to make Cyborg happen. Because it's not happening. <laughs> like it's just nothing against the character. But I would, I, I, I would not recognize a Mean Girls quote <laughs> if you could just if you just stolen that outright. So I'm just saying, in the future, just go for it. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't really do anything. He doesn't do anything positively or negatively on the team. He yeah, just is there. Um, kind of tortured. That's all that I ever. Yeah, got tortured about. daddy issues, and it's just like, oh god. It's, yeah. So the which is a so the story. You guys enough of that with me. The story that that, that, <laughs> that part two is in Aquaman 15 is that uh, these, a bunch of missiles were fired into the ocean that pissed off the Atlanteans. Now they're invading uh, the surface world. And so that's, that's the Throne of Atlantis story so far. So and now it, here's the question, though. Is like, it, do, like, are you supposed to read both issues? Like, you know, like if, let's say I'm not reading Aquaman. It's well, it says, TB, it says to be continued. And nothing on the cover that in, indicates this at all. Although at the why end, why would they do that? At the end of the Justice League issue, it says to be continued Aquaman fifteen, but the beginning of Aquaman fifteen says nothing about go read Justice League. No, but it does say it's Thunder Atlantis Part Two. It does say Part Two? Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. Um, do you like Palatier on Aquaman? He wasn't as bad as I was, and I didn't think he'd be bad because I've seen him before. But you know, I knew it would be a tough loss losing uh, Rice Reese. Yeah, Rice. Um, Rice. Rice's pieces. Rice. Um, but he was fine. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's a good... He's I like Peltier. I like him. He's so. a quality comic book artist. So. Yeah. But I, th- I thought this was a good story. I thought the idea, you know, it's, it's similar to Namor when, when Atlantis attacks. And it, it very much had that Namor feel to it. 
Um, and then you know Aquaman gets caught in the middle, and he just doesn't know which side to do. So yeah. I, I I I like the characterizations. I like I think the art changes helped a lot. Yes, I agree. Totally agree. It feels focused. Really, it feels yeah. yeah. So yeah. I really did enjoy these two issues quite a bit. Cool. cool. So um, the holidays are over, and hopefully you got everything you wanted. But if you didn't, go to ifanboy.com/slash/amazon and buy it. <laughs> That's what I did. Yay! <laughs> Your gift cards. <laughs> exactly. Um, those things you waited to see if anyone would get you, and no one bought you Fury Max Volume One, so you had to go buy it yourself. Exactly. Or in my case, the Alien uh, Artist Edition that I just bought uh, myself. Yeah, it's gorgeous, isn't oh. it? Right. That was good, right, guys? I, I, oh. That was that was the one thing I got you both because uh, I figured. It oh. was, yeah. So it's magnificent. <laughs> I want to like I want to leave the call right now and go touch it. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah. So uh, go to ifanboy.com/slash/amazon. Click on the Amazon banner, and anything you buy at Amazon helps out iFanboy in the process. We thank everybody for your support. We had a huge December, and we want to thank everybody for that. And you help uh, keep the lights on here at iFanboy. We appreciate it. So, all right. So Invincible number ninety nine. Uh, Josh, I'm dying to hear what you think of this. I don't know. Like, yeah. was it a was it a cop out or there was, was no it? less? So basically, every yeah. every page was a splash page. So it yeah, was a homage to Superman seventy five. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was no pants. which I don't think anybody got. I did. <laughs> that was complaining about. It. I got it too. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, no, I, I got it as a thing that yeah. you do. He did make sure that I don't want to say make sure, but there was a lot of dialogue. There was a lot of talk. Like the thing, it moved the story forward. There was no. It didn't take any less time to read than a normal comic book. Yeah. Uh, I, I suppose it was easier to draw because she didn't have to lay it out. I, 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 I'm even, I, it's, it's like a thing where they have to make the story thing happen in issue 100. Yep. So this issue had to happen in the middle of it and it didn't really need to because we're at the same place we were at the beginning. Right. So and so, might as well do something fun with it and do a splash page issue. I, I guess. Mean, yeah, I, I mean, guess. I, I mean, I, I saw, wish it was a little more impressive. I saw. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I saw people hating on it. I'm fine with it all. With ultimately with the full with the whole splash page issue. But there were some pages, and it was all Otley, right? I mean, it was. It wasn't like it was. It wasn't like the, the Avengers get nine, nine different artists in and stuff like that. But there was the one page where Dinosaurus throws Invincible against the building and he lands and it was really kind of lightly almost sketchy kind yeah. of. And actually I noticed that too. Yeah, and I was like, oh well that's unfortunate. Um but yeah. But you're right, you're right in that this issue had to happen until they get to hundred, so yeah. Yeah. But it was it, I mean, the the panel thing didn't bother me, but the fact is like at the beginning we're at the exact same place we're at the end. So Yeah. You have, to, you have a big problem with that really lately. Well what's the point of reading the issue? Yeah. True, that's a good point. And from a story point, that's just, that's a pacing problem. Yeah, you're just reading it. So, but in terms of um, interesting art uh, choices, I was all ready to tear into um, uh, the Flash because uh, it had Marcus Toe on art instead of Manipal. Right. And then I got to the middle of the book when the art switched back to Manipal in this amazing, amazing stretch of pages. Yeah, no, it's it was almost like they did. Literally inject the speed force into the comic. Yes, exactly. In that, you know, Marcus Toe is the official fill-in for Manipal, who does probably what nine issues a year. About yeah. And uh, he's fine. He's just you know he's a standard comic artist. He's, and, he, he's, and he's sticking and he's sticking to the look, you know, like the the faces, yeah. the way Manipal draws, like the pointy noses and things like that. But it it it, it lacked that that he's, Joy he's Devere the, that that uh, he's their uh, Marco Rudy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's fine. He's a good storyteller. Yeah. It's all fine. But then. Uh, just uh, the specialness goes away, but then when we went into Barry's head when he's knocked unconscious and put in a coma, and it suddenly switches to Manipal, it was like 
literally the speed force being ejected to the story and the character, which is what was happening. It was, so. it was like, like the moment, like going to color in, in The Wizard of Oz. It yes. was just like, I was like, oh my God. And so what, what they did was it was this it, it, the series of double page spreads, and you've got Barry, you know, in the hospital, and Patty Spivet, and the other dude, like, kind of wait, waiting for him, and he's all bandaged. And in his head coming out, there are three different kind of lightning bolts one with like a yellow hue, one with a red hue, one with a blue hue, and it continues on to the next page. And then the red, the red one kind of goes away, and then the yellow and the blue continue on but then more from being just lightning bolts and they're very kind of you know angular triangular kind of panels that make this whole big lightning bolt and they morph into the dc comics presented the flash lettering which is just amazing just amazing it just oh i love i love the merging of visual storytelling that manipol and bugaletto are doing with these with the stuff and and so like once i got to this point i'm like all is forgiven i'm fine with it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was great no um, American Vampire 34 is the last issue before the hiatus that's happening with this book for however long it's going to be on hiatus. But for me, the most impressive part of this issue was that it was a really strong indicator of tone and mood. It was a sort of a one-shot story about the great trader who was, I guess, the maybe maybe might be the new villain or or, or maybe I think not. It's the villain from Tremors. <laughs> and uh, but I thought that the mood and, and feeling that was created by Raphael Albuquerque more than anything was really strong. It just felt sort of somber, and it had that. It just it had this feeling that no other book really had, and it's hard to place your f- finger on what mood is. But it was. It, it just it was the heavy the shadow the the, the fisheye lens through the door. It was that was nice. It, it was just a lot of there was a lot of great great panels in this in this book, and it really just looked beautiful. Yeah. And I'm gonna miss it while it's gone. Fair enough. I, I thought that I would update on Hellboy and Hell number two, which many people told me I was wrong about. Yep. Um, You're wrong with the first one, they said. Yeah. It was, it was, again, it was kind of fine. I figured I, did, I put my finger on what it was I didn't like about it, though. And it's the same thing with this one. Literally, what it is, is Hellboy is following around a spirit in hell, and the spirit is pointing things out to him. And Hellboy doesn't do anything. And that's, this was a lot more clear as to what was happening. There were some really interesting things to set it up, but that is still the only thing that happened. It was Hellboy following somebody around. And he's like, well, look at this. Look, this is where you were born. Look, look at this. And something may happen eventually, but nothing has happened because they're just walking around. I like this new, this new trend of 2013 and Josh wants action. Josh wants yeah. things to happen. That's what I, that's what I'm picking up. Oh, well, a thing has to, a thing does have to happen, right? No, yeah. And, 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 you know, like well, what do you mean? Still for? a thing, though. Yeah, a character moment and all that. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But like, literally, it's it's the character following the other one around. There's there's that's that's not using the comic book for is it, you have Hellboy in hell, right? A thing should happen. <laughs> it's just not using your your, you know, we we all. We all might want to sit around watching pro athletes talk about things, but most of the time people just want to see them play football. So now what was the thing that happened in hell previously that we all loved in Hellboy? What was the thing that happened in hell recently? Like the, there was a, the hell had a reaction to what Hellboy was doing up on the surface world when he was a young boy. Pancakes. Yes, which is a great segue to glory number 31. <laughs> because, wow. Because <laughs> – Stick your arm deep in the hole and grab something. <laughs> because I was delighted to see that um, in a very Hellboy-esque kind of moment, there were two food moments where um, basically what happens is that Glory and her sister, after they fought, are now going to confront their father. And, and I was expecting a big fight. And first we get that um, the the little um, I forget the character's name, but the 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 guy with the the, the little monster guy who made uh, grilled cheese on the plane, 
and then they arrive and see um, Glory's father and Glory's sister's father, and he he starts making them waffles. And instead of fighting, they talk over waffles. Are <laughs> so. they in Belgium? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because they started out in France. It yeah, would yeah. sense that they would go to Belgium and then have waffles. That's, but, you know, that's only a, a point off. But it, it was it, it was a nice pace change from the the brutal brutality and the big fights and stuff like that to like, oh, they're going to sit around and talk over waffles. I love it. <laughs> and earlier there were grilled cheese sandwiches. Excellent. That's <laughs> nice. That's nice. He was hungry when he wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's all there is to it. Yep. I have I have figured out uh, Karina Becco and. Uh, Gabriel Hardman's uh, secret to Planet of the Apes Cataclysm with the fifth issue. And that uh-huh. is? Unruly ape mobs. <laughs> That's, that would be a good equation, I think. Apes, <laughs> apes, apes will form an unruly mob at the drop of a hat, and it will, it will lend instant danger to a situation, and, and apes, apes just cannot be stopped from forming angry mobs. They did it in Flash, too. Yeah, yeah. Angry mobs are the, are the new uh, are the new uh, jackbooted thug of comics. Well, if if you take the continuum of angry mobs, angry mobs of apes is one of the more terrifying angry mobs you can have. Yeah, but if they're all apes, it sort of it levels the field. True, but just in terms of a visual, visceral here's, thing from the reader. Here's the thing about the apes: they're not nice. <laughs> they're selfish. They're petty. They're, they're racist. They're like, they're like humans, but more so. At least more outright about it. They don't. There's no passive aggressiveness in the apes. They just they want theirs and they want it now, and they don't trust those chimps. So in some ways, they're more honest. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. There's well, there's something noble about animals in that way. Mm -hmm. They don't beat around the bush. Um, So Punk Rock Jesus number six came out, and I had actually I had to read five and six to catch up because I'd missed it somewhere along the line, and I did. Um, and I've actually seen the people saying that this fell off a cliff or it was not, wasn't a good ending. Um, and, and I, I, I don't, this is not going to sound like a compliment, but it kind of is. Um, it gave me a lot to think about Interesting. and, and I, I'm very much going over it in my head. Um, cause it feels like it's very on the nose in the first reading, but that's if you put, if you decide that the thoughts of the author are the same as the thoughts of the main character, but because what you basically have is a 15-year-old punk rock kid who uh, is against religion because of all the stuff that happened. That's, that's the point. He, yeah. he wants to end religion. And, and he talks a lot of shit about it. Which And Ron, you, you tweeted something earlier about teenage angst sounding yeah. stupid coming from an adult. <laughs> and, and it is. But the thing is, in this book, it doesn't come from an adult. It comes from a 15-year-old who's right. very smart. Which is, reminds me of every like, overly aggressive you know, 15-year-old punk kid that I met when I was you know, in college or whatever. And I'm, you know, I can't keep that kind of rage up myself anymore. But it made me think about what the point of the story was. Like, is it talking about that sort of energy that comes with youth, and you know, you you adopt your personality, and you have a mohawk, or you know, is 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 the author putting himself in in those hands, or are we talking about it? There's, it made me think about it a lot. It wasn't as if they were. It wasn't as if I I didn't feel as if it was Sean Murphy yelling at me. I felt as if we were looking at, you know at what it was like for this kid. And then I really, throughout the whole thing, I really liked the character of, uh, of Thomas. Um, well, yeah, he's the real hero. Exactly. Yeah. And he is not. He has faith. He yeah. has, you know, a, a moral code. He has all this thing. He's not the, he's not the reactionary character. Um, I, I really enjoyed, like, sort of learning his, uh, his origin story. Um, I don't think the art led up the whole way through. I think it was it was good from start to finish. Yep. Um, and and while I, I don't think I'm not going to go, oh, this was masterful. I will, you know, at the end, I I was thinking about it, and I I have I have, you know, 
it gave me something to chew on, yeah, I guess, which, from which a storytelling is, standpoint. Which is quite insightful, um, mm-hmm. and I'm impressed by your analysis. That's great. But? Um, no, but. No, I, oh. I, think it, I, I think ultimately with this last issue, it ended the way it had to end. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised by the ending. Um, I thought... If anything, I still my opinion still hangs on this. Is that is that um, I would like to see it colored um, because at times the, I just think the black. I think you know I, I don't I don't get the sense. And maybe I'm wrong. And you you've talked to Murphy more than more than I have. I don't know if he did he originally intend this to be black and white. I don't know. And, I don't, and because I get the I feeling knew. I think he knew it was going to be black and white when he did most of it though. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I don't know. It just it just I just feel like his art his art suffered a little black and white and the size. I gotta say that I, I I think it worked for it because if you yeah. think about what the deal was with the punk rock and the, and the, the yeah no no and I get that I, it, I, I totally get it. But, but, but if there's anybody out there who's gonna be able to do a page that yeah. doesn't have color on it, he's he's gonna be one of the top. Yeah guys. no, and, and I thought about that too. I mean, it would make sense to be a dirty black and white kind of kind of kind of approach to it. But um, my my only complaint is that as a first writer, which we often see, is just that there are pages with lots of dialogue and lots yeah, there was, of yeah, lots of text, and so you know. Um, but no, all in all, it was all in all, it's good. I mean, it's he was he got stuck in the in the needed to sixth issue actually as yeah. opposed to the other st- problems we talked about in the other stories like he had to cram everything in at the end i think he got yeah he ran up against the edge and then had to yeah. you know squeeze everything in yeah well but either way it's an accomplishment and he should be proud so yeah. sure definitely um so there there the so those are the books that came out this week uh if you go look at the top five picks of the weeks uh, or pick of the past two weeks as chosen by the AI fanboy community you'll see that punk rock jesus came in at number five uh with uh 3.6 percent of the pick of the week or six or, what number six. Num- you said five. No, it's it's number five on the top five, issue number six. Oh, I'm tired. So number five on the top five list, Punk Rock Jesus, number six. 3.6%. Lots, lots of numbers. Lots of numbers. It's just going to get worse, so hang in there. <laughs> number four on the list was Justice League, number 15, with 6.1%. Number three was a book that we didn't talk about but I still loved was Manhattan Project's number eight uh, with 6.1%. It's kind of falling into the zone of it's it's you know it's just more of the, not more of the same but not in a bad way mm-hmm. you know yeah I got you uh, number two was Amazing Spider Man number seven hundred with twenty four percent of the pick of the week um, not everyone hated it not everyone hated it um, and num- the number one book was All New X Men number five thirty six point two percent lots of people agreed with me on that one so interesting yeah. You can go to fanboy.com and where you can make your pick of the week by making your pull list and, and writing re- and writing reviews and rating and rating your books. And we t- like, like to pick out some of the best user reviews and talk about them on the show. The first is from Casey Justice who reviewed Batman Incorporated number six and gave the story a five out of five and the art a five out of five. And 3.6%. Is that correct? Yes, it is. So that would put it in the top five as a tie with number Punk Rock Jesus. Oh, there you go. Tie with Punk Rock Jesus. There you go. So there you, I didn't catch there. that, but all right. There you go. <laughs> All a little rusty. Casey Justice is rest, continues to write in verse. And he says, chaos descends on the city with deaths of heroes grim and gritty. You, sh- you should never fool with Talia al Ghul or everything will turn out shitty. You kind of went for the blue at the end of that one, huh? Yeah. Well, it rhymes. Um, I tweeted this when I read it, but uh, and I know that he didn't do all the pages in it, but I came for Graham Morrison and I'm staying for Chris Burnham. Um, I just, I just think it's, I think it's really interesting. I was writing up the best artist of 2012. I just think it's really interesting that that he ended up being the guy who made me not miss Frank Quitely. Um, and 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 because of that, and also I, I found this one, I, I found this, this is like a fun, like I, I like the tone that they strike in this book for whatever reason. I think some of the earlier issues of Batman Incorporated where they were spending a lot of time in other places with other characters, it wasn't as fun. But this is basically, this basically reminds me of of Batman and Robin again. 
Yep. Uh, where they're sort of hanging around with with its Bruce and the family and 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 Damian. Well, it's, and, it's very much Batman and Robin. I mean, yeah. this this this. Yeah. I mean, this could almost be like the continuation of what he was doing in Batman and Robin. It is. I yeah, mean, it, it is. is yeah. I think so, so. And that was good. And I, and I just I think Burnham is is come such a a long way. Uh, and I, he makes it really good to look at. Uh, and and his like the storytelling is really fun. The arch the art change was only for like three or four pages, uh, three pages, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, uh, thirteen, fourteen, four pages. Can't do yeah. math. Um, and it was really jarring for me. It was really jarring. Mm-hmm. like it was a really noticeable change. Um, and odd that it would be like smack in the middle of the story as opposed to the beginning or a flashback or the end or whatever. But hey, they're, they got they got the book out, so yeah. they're committed to their deadlines. Yeah, you know, so, one one way yeah. or the other. What are you gonna do? Yep. Cool. So our next review comes from Nindustrial, who reviewed Mara number one, which was another book that came out over the break uh, from Image Comics. It was their lone release uh, between Christmas and New Year's and gave the story a four out of five and the art a two out of five. And 0.1% of you made it your pick of the week. And Nindustrial says, and I think that's a kind of, it's a merging of nine inch net, like it's N industrial. Or, or it's a, some sort of a equation. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, but um, either way, they say, for an intro issue, I think it does its job. It's well-paced and sets everything up properly. I'm excited to see where the concept goes. All that said, I was not very impressed by the art. Doyle's art isn't problem- problematic in itself, but she frankly uh. does a poor job of conveying action here. Some of her scenes are confusingly drawn as well. They just don't look natural. I only bumped it to a two because some of the more static scenes show off her skill. And the cover is really very good. But I hope the art improves next issue or it's going to become a bit distracting. And unfortunately, I got to agree. Like, I was excited for this. I was curious to see what it would be. I liked the story, but I, got, I opened it up and I was like, oh, I thought this would be better art-wise. So hopefully Ming Doyle can uh, step up a little because the cover is great. Uh, and you I've did seen, some, I've you seen did her some work. editing of possessive pronouns there. I did. But, um, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, look away. Look at the shiny thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but um, uh, it kind of came <laughs> off as kind of like a very Ryan Kelly-esque style. And I've seen her work before and I think she's really good. Um, I, I don't know if it's maybe just her and Wood and Jordi Belair. Um, getting their footing or whatever, but uh, I'll be curious to see how this goes. So, a lot of a lot of uh, varying opinions in this book. I saw lots of people did very vehemently disliking it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, then. So go to ifanboy.com/comics. You can write reviews of the books you read, as well as rate them and make your picks of the weeks and all that stuff. So, uh, go do that. Onto onto the email. Do you want me to do this long one or Connor, please don't make me read this? I'll do it. Right. Uh, Josh F writes in and he says. Uh, Thank you for the podcast. I'm going to skip the whole intro part. He thanks us. Yes. All right. So he says, I just finished reading the DC 52 series. I know a little late on the party, which was an enjoyable few yarns and made use of a lot of BNC listers in a way that really made me care about them and get a sense of the larger DC universe as being so much more than just Gotham and Metropolis. He gave me cause to reflect on all the times you guys had talked about the series and really how unique an approach this was for a mainstream superhero comic in 2006 with a team of writers and artists putting this out, ensemble, cast, weekly soap opera with exactly zero of their high-profile characters. It occurred to me that this was not the only time DC has gone out there and taken a risk on a unique book or publishing approach in the last 10 years or so. You have, 50, you have 52, you have Wednesday Comics, and now the new 52. Regardless of the level of creative or commercial success you might argue for each endeavor, I can't recall seeing quite as much experimentation on a large scale from Marvel during the same time. This strikes me as odd since Marvel's the publisher with a reputation for being younger, more rebellious, and more likely to push the envelope. While they, while they did kick, the, kick off the millennium with the Ultimate Marvel line, I feel like we haven't seen some willingness to experiment that DC has shown over the following years. Do you think Marvel's position being the commercially dominant of the big two publishers has made them less willing to play with the format? True, we've seen series here and there, the short-lived Next Wave and currently Hawkeye come to mind. But it doesn't seem like it's as high-profile or large-scale as some of the things DC has been trying. So who do you think is the most innovative of the big two, Marvel or DC? 
It's an interesting question. I actually really like that question. I, I thought you would. I thought it, I thought it, it, it should uh, give some good discussion. Josh, what do you think? I don't like to say, well, Marvel is this way and DC is this way. Right. That's my caveat. But I feel like historically Marvel has done most of their envelope pushing not with the format but with the content. I would, um, I would concur. Uh, in the way that they treat their characters, what happens to them, the issues that they deal with, the stuff, that's how they do it. They're sm- and at this point, as a publishing entity, they're smart enough to know what side their bread is buttered on. And they're not going to get that from the, – like the only thing that they're willing to do is to push out more comics. And, and, and the thi- that my thoughts around it are that they're in a position of being on top. And therefore, they are not going to take any risks to question that, to challenge that. Yeah. So you're not going to see them change the size of the books or do anything like that or switch to some, you know, any changes they make in that regard are going to be slow and incremental. It's not going to be like, you know, back in the early 2000s when they were not on top anymore and they're like, we'll do a horizontal book and we'll do, you know, like they were trying all crazy shit because they're trying to get attention. Now that they're on top, I feel as if their business people are smart enough to say, okay, we need to keep on what this works. Let's keep on doing it. And let's not change. Let's not fuck up the position that we're in. That said, though, you know, I agree with you, Josh, that they're you know pushing the envelope on the content. But also, I think that they're trying to push the envelope in different ways, like the augmented reality stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yeah. try- you know, you know, like they're taking risks there where it really doesn't hurt their bottom line. Mm-hmm. If and you're then- in charge, if you're in charge and you're you're number one and you experiment and drop to number two, then you're going to lose your job. So yeah, you're not going to. Play, play around too much when you're the number one company. Now it's interesting that I don't tend to think of of DC Comics as being a particularly innovative comic book company. But when you point these things out, it's something. Now, now for every fifty two, you get a countdown, and you get a what was that other one? Trinity. Yeah, but that you was know. them trying to replicate. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I mean, f- fifty two was fifty two was ballsy and great, and we loved it, and for all the reasons that he said and stuff like that. But I haven't really seen them other than the new fifty two. I haven't seen them do that again. You know. Well, he brought up Wednesday Comics. That was more of a special project. Yeah, that which was had a- more to do with you know the. The, the editor on it basically yeah, is like, a we do this thing. Project, if at best, um, yeah. You know, but they've got you know. It's but it was a thing you wouldn't, you'd never see from Marvel. True. Yes, but except. Well, people, what about Strange Tales? I was going to say it's bo- not a it's not a weekly newspaper size yeah, comic. Yeah, right. I mean, yep. You're not going to see that. But even of- that, you know, Strange Tales really. I hate saying this, but Strange Tales is more about the creator, and I feel like right now that that Marvel's taking the creator more seriously, at least who they have in charge of their things. Um, 52 is a bit of alchemy, really, the, the first one. Like, I remember, you know, for the first quarter or third of it, we were, we were like, I don't know about this. And then it won us over yeah. by being really good and coming together in a way that no one expected. I don't think the people involved with it expected. Um, the new 52, that's, it, it's funny because the people who are in charge of DC at this point, uh, you know, or, or at least, you know, the editor and a lot of the editors, editor-in-chief and a lot of the editors now are the people from Marvel in the early 90s where they were doing new things, you know, and then when they work, they just flog the shit out of them, yeah. um, which is kind of what we're seeing. Um, it's interesting. It's, it, it's, there's no answer, but there's, it's something to think about and sort of go over. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean the thing is, is that it's a question because I don't think the market is in a place where they can, they, anybody can comfortably take those kind of risks anymore. I think, I, it, I, I think. You know, what's interesting is that, yeah. two, you know, 2006, different people in charge at D.C., and is a different market yeah. than it is right now. Because right now, DC's problem is that they are incredibly static. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take that as you will. And I think you're right, though. Yeah. Interesting. That work? Interesting question. Yeah, yeah very interesting. That's, thank you. They yeah, really that, made that, us that think. Really good. 
appreciate um, that. Cool. So um, we got another email from... I blacked out what happened. We got another email from Andrew, um, Andrew H., who wrote in, uh, responding to an earlier episode, episode 363, when we were talking about uh, Wolverine in the uh, X-Men cartoon in the 80s. Um, and he says, I wanted to correct you about a point you made in episode 363. You mentioned the Australian accent used by Wolverine in Pride of the X-Men and said that it was because someone didn't know what they were doing. Not true. There's a coffee table book about the history of the X-Men publications I read that says that Wolverine was intentionally given an Australian accent because at the time they were exploring doing a Wolverine movie set in Australia. That movie never got made, but they wanted to tie Pride of the, X- t- tie Pride of the X-Men into it. Which is also someone not know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't, listen, I don't want to be pedantic here, but his his email address is very Star Trek influenced. And I'm just saying, if I was William Shatner, I would yell at you right now. I just like, I, I just, I, I love the idea that that, that that is written in a book somewhere. Right. <laughs> Some guy's like, I got this. This is gold. There's only a few people who picked up on it. Exactly. But yeah. I'm, I, you know that, you know that Andrew trots this out a lot. Yeah. So, um, well, actually. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andrew, for writing in. Um, always good to hear from you. It's, you know what? I'm glad to know that. Yes. Email us at contact.ifanboy.com. Um, on to our voicemails, a question we've answered before, but we'll answer it again for you. Hey guys, this is Ian from Crete, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think of comic book superheroes that are married, because it seems like everybody that was married uh, got separated in some sort of a reboot. And so beyond uh, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman and North Star and his husband. I can't think of any married couples. Uh, love what you guys do on the show, and I'll talk to you guys never, probably, which is sad. Okay, bye. I know that the audio quality... Did he say he was from Crete? I know, that's what it sounded like. Greek <laughs> island? If that, if that's our first Crete call. <laughs> I feel like there should be rioting in the background. Yeah, that's all I... <laughs> I know. I, I picture he's on an amazing beach, and he's got barely any. You know, they'll be they'll be rioting across the horizon shore. Yeah, but uh, just eating stuff out of leaves. And- <laughs> yeah, just grape leaves everywhere. Yeah. Anyway, so the classic question about marriage in comics, and why does comics hate marriage? Not comics, fiction. Fiction. Do you think serialized, fiction? Serialized fiction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It limits the amount of stories you can tell. Yep. We have this. This is actually discussed actually quite a bit in the Marvel uh, Untold Storybook about how they screwed up all the characters by marrying them off as the writers got older and wanted to write about marriage. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just what happens when you've got a, you know, a bunch of characters who you have to tell stories about weekly or monthly forever. When you cut off the romantic aspect of their lives, you you the cut tension, off the yeah, the, the story yeah. you can tell. It's not. Well, it's not, it's, it's not interesting to argue over putting the seat down. Yeah. Well, it depends. No, it's definitely ask, not ask, ask Judd Apatow. But that said, um, that said, you know, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones—that's a couple that he didn't mention—that are married. Yeah, but they're and, not. Know. They're not. You know, they're not for. Well, well, and they've also just been taken off the board. So, yeah. <laughs> right, that's true. Um, but no, but but everyone says it's just Reed and Sue, and that's it, and that's all that's left. Or, or now North Star and 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 what his boyfriend's well, there, name. There will be some married name. characters, but for the most yeah. part, I mean, Reed and Sue are supposed to. be – I mean, that's part of their particular story. The first and, family, yeah. And I think even. Jessica and Luke Cage, to a certain extent, fall in that same category, whereas the story is about their relationship. But really, what's the most interesting story about Sue Sue Storm? Namor. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's you know, like it's funny. It's funny because once you give the character what they want, then they don't have a thing to strive for. And then the only other way to get them out of that is to make them uh, have some sort of infidelity, and that paints them usually negatively. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's interesting that they were talking about having Peter get divorced from Mary Jane way back in the Clone Saga. I mean, they, I mean, they knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you can't yeah. have a story about a main character like that and tell as, as interesting stories if they're, if they're not completely free. Yep. Yeah. Just, that's, just, that's, that's not life, but it's storytelling. It's fiction. Well, somebody at some point went, you know, there'd be a lot of tension in a marriage if one of them was a superhero. And they're like, yeah, it would be. Let's do that. And then, and then that's the only story. And it just feels like every. It feels like our real lives. Well, they said. I mean, they've, I've, I've read in interviews. They said it. They were all guys who were older, and they were married, and they want they. They wrote about what they, related to them. Yeah. They wrote about what they knew, not not being single, but being married to a supermodel, yeah. and uh, you know that's what they did, and they did it, and they screwed it up. So, yeah. just the way, just the way it is. So if you have any questions about the way it is, you can email us at 188fanboys. It's 188-326-2697. Some things will never change. Um, so you can, um, uh, if you like podcasts and you want to listen to more. I got you. You did, you son of a bitch. Um, but anyway, so if you want to listen to other podcasts, you can tune into iFanboy Don't Miss, which makes a triumphant return this coming Monday when Paul Montgomery talks to Brian Wood about his uh, upcoming Star Wars book at Dark Horse. Um, so go to iFanboy.com on Monday or go to iTunes and subscribe to Don't Miss and check it out. Yeah. <laughs> when do we take this out of the script? The thing is, the line says make comics and I'm like, what do I do about this? Is Ron going to say something? <laughs> no. Listen, sometimes uh-huh. you do a make comics podcast. I never promised anybody anything. <laughs> All, right, All right, Kermit. All right. <laughs> I got nope. some. All right, then. Moving on. <laughs> is it coming out, or is there any update, or what? Will there be more at any point? Are you planning on more? There will, there will be some more. Okay, that's all we need to know. You can subscribe that, to it on iTunes, a, that's so, you, true. so you don't miss it. There yeah. you go. All right. Well, last week on the show. this next thing? Last week, you'll notice there was no Pick League podcast. Instead, we had the all-media year and roundup show, which we always love doing. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that or somehow missed it, you can go back and you can find that on the feed behind this show or on the website or wherever you find our podcast. But that was always a lot of fun. It's about two and an hours and 20 minutes of us talking about TV and movies and film and podcasts and video games and music and comics and all the all those books and all the kinds of stuff that we like to do when we're not doing iFanboy. So I enjoyed it. We should We should do an update. Oh yeah, yeah. ratings, uh, hobbits, ratings. All right, quick, yeah, quick update. Hobbit ratings, ratings, ratings. Uh, C, uh, B. Doing letters. Yeah. B. Yep. I think we're all in agreement about the Hobbit that it was good. It just felt stretched and long. And, and I, I can watch Ian McKellen do that. I'm fine with that. Yeah, like my whole thing is like no movies look like the Hobbit, and so yeah. like I'm fine revisiting that world for hours. I don't but care. Here's the thing: I went and watched Lord of the Rings over the break. Yeah, I know. All three. I know. It really, it really. It was like watching the Dark Knight after watching the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Yeah, really or hard. it was like reading the Dark Knight Returns or Strikes Back after reading Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> mm. Um. Yeah, no, I, I I get that and I see it, but I still enjoyed it. I don't know. It was fine. Yeah. It was fine. It's, it's fine. It was fine. And I'm totally in the minority in that I did not I did not mind. In fact, I kind of liked the 48 FPS. But I think I'm just being contrarian. So. I didn't see it that way, so it looked exactly the same yeah. to me. Yeah. So, all right, um, Django. Am I the only one who saw Django? A. A plus. Time it t- it tied with Argo for me. Yeah. Oh my god, it was amazing. It was yeah. great. Yeah, Connor, have you seen it yet or? 
Oh, you should. I gotta say, I did, I thought I was a little skeptical going into it because I didn't quite understand. I like Christoph Waltz, but uh, everything I've seen from him after Inglorious Bastards has kind of left me. Not, they weren't as good as Inglorious Bastards. I wasn't what sure happened how, is, how he'd is fit Quentin in. Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino said, "I'm really sorry that you had to win an Oscar for playing an absolute Nazi shit before. Yeah, so we're gonna make you a we're gonna make you a great guy, an awesome guy. Yeah, and yeah. I was a little a little skeptical about the length, but I never looked at my watch once. It never was, felt it. It was great, great. So yeah, a plus, a plus. Anything else? I saw that Miz. I gave it a B plus. Oh, any dial? Any commentary? Um, it was done in opera style, so there was hardly any non singing, and some of the some of the, which was fine once you got used to it. And then the uh, some of the way he shot Tom Hopper shot the film was worked really well in some scenes and not so well in other scenes. He used these extreme close up fisheye lenses on some of the singing, and um, which when the really powerful emotional songs worked really well, some of the other ones didn't quite work as well but Is that, uh, that that's hooper the guy who did uh hooper, john adams yeah. yeah and the King's yeah Beach. yes 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 okay. um i did see on the road which um i wish i hadn't <laughs> i saw um, safety not guaranteed well, which uh, you like well i went on on the road i gave on the road like a c but um basically it was just uninspired and predictable it was just that it was very and it just as a kerouac fan i was i was disappointed so uh, did you like Safety Not Guaranteed? I did. I actually yeah. did. Wasn't it good? It was, it was charming, yeah, right? Yeah. It was, and it was a good ending. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. It's like, oh, that, I didn't know what was oh, going on. Oh, and I also saw Seeking a Friend for the End of the World on the plane, which I th- which was really good. The mm. Steve Carroll, Kira Knightley, I really enjoyed it. Yes, I, I, I meant to see that. Yeah. I, I, I had a whole plan to see a bunch of films. Yeah. And then I got oh, the Oh, guys. Yeah. I know. What? Uh, I watched an episode of New Girl. Oh, Yeah. And Olivia Munn was a stripper on it, yeah, and it was a very good TV show. Yeah, see, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, as far as as far was it as the that holiday goes. episode where they went to all the parties, or was the one that I he guess so. Party, yeah. That was a good episode. That was very fun. That was a good episode. Yeah, I laughed at one point. Lindsay yeah. looked at me because yeah. she was watching. Oh, it. and I read I'm a book. I, I read a book in three days. A whole book, a, a whole book in four, in three or four days. I read. Jesus. I read Ready Player One, which was fucking awesome. And I and Josh Connor, I don't know about you, but Josh, I strongly recommend you read it. What is that? It, it's called Ready Player One. People are going to ask that we do this every week. I know. Yeah, we can't. Somebody right. asked, like, why do you only do it once a year? It's like it takes that long to watch all the shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, right. uh, I read Marvel Comics history in about two days. Yeah. Yes. You, you can't stop reading it. You can't. You nope. can't put it down. Yeah. So. Oh, so good. Good stuff. All right. Um, all right. Well, eh, who knows how long the show is. Go to ifanboy.com where you can read my Pick of the Week review as well as all the other great um, articles that are up. We did our... Best of 2012 wrap-up over the past two weeks, and honestly, I think it was our best year yet. Um, it was our best, best of year yet. Um, so you can go to ifanboy.com, and you can get all that there, and uh, go to twitter.com slash ifanboy and facebook.com slash ifanboy where you won't miss a thing. And I don't want to miss a thing. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's why I'm going to keep doing that. Yeah. I took all day, Ron. Ron. Yep. Day's almost over. Uh, you can email us at – I can't believe I did that. And it's recorded. And you can email us a contact too. at iFanboy. No, I know, I know. I'm not asking it to. I didn't. Right. I didn't really put my all into it. I'm not a karaoke guy. Contact at iFanboy.com. Just get off my back about make comics. That's what I just or voicemail eight 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 fanboys three two six two six. Just calm down two six nine seven. With any of your questions. Uh, I'm already thinking of putting that on a loop. That's <laughs> the back of the whole show. That'll be what people hear when you t- when when I text you. <laughs> Finally, if you like the show or you like uh, don't miss or. Even make uh, comics. I don't know why you would. You don't want to close my eyes. Oh, stop, please. You don't want to fall asleep. I still miss you, babe. I can't even continue. Josh, you are this close. <laughs> You're on thin ice, mister. You're going to have a meeting. Connor, 
Just me and me and Ron. <laughs> Please finish the copy. I said I can't finish it. Is <laughs> <laughs> that was it in Pearl Harbor? At, and that's what that's what I'm going to hear in my head. <laughs> All right then. Miss you, babe. Until next week, I'm Ron. Okay.